The story of Acts is what we've been in this winter, and the theme of the whole series has been titled Gospel on the Move. Now, what's the gospel? The gospel is the good news, and it's the good news that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for all man's sin so that whoever believes in him will not have to pay that same death penalty but can enjoy life with God eternally in heaven. The gospel is on the move. And we've read some amazing stories of how the gospel started in Jerusalem and is starting to spread just not not only geographically, but now even ethnically from Jew to Gentile, Jew to non-Jew. Because this is what Jesus died for. He died for the world. Not just one nation, but all nations, all ethnicities, all races. Now today we're in Acts chapter 12, where we're going to see an interesting story that continues the theme of the gospel on the move. Okay? Acts chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword when he saw that this, uh, that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Now, what we've seen is that as the gospel spread, as the gospel went out, so did persecution. It wasn't just widely accepted by everybody and everyone was happy that the gospel was spreading, but it actually started going against some of the theology and teaching that was of the time. And we see not just persecution. Now, when we talk about persecution, we think of suffering, but actually we we see that the persecution is quite real. We see in verse 2 that James, the brother of John, who was a disciple of Jesus, is killed by the sword, has died because of his belief, because of what he is living for. So we see this really interesting idea of the gospel moving forward. And there's a lot of excitement as the church grows and and God continues to bring new people to him. But also, we, we, we have to understand that it wasn't, completely for free and it wasn't done cheaply but the persecution that existed was very real people were losing their lives people were giving up their lives for what they believe and this is something that's really important for us to understand and we'll come back to this later on and so we have king herod who goes on and king herod is not the king herod of jesus time but it's actually his grandson uh, goes and he arrests Peter, right, one of the disciples, and has him thrown into jail. But really, for the sake of putting him on trial and ultimately to be killed. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And that's going to be our key verse today. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. 
So what happens next? Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So we see this really interesting story where Peter's in jail and he's chained, not just chained to himself, but he's chained to two soldiers, on, on one on each side. And this angel appears and ultimately frees Peter from not just jail, but ultimately certain death. All right, verse 11. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and describe how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. All right, so Peter... He comes out of jail, and even, even this whole time when he's being led out by this angel, he's thinking, maybe I'm just dreaming. And then he goes, wait a minute, I'm not dreaming. This is real. And so he goes to where the believers were, where they were gathered and were praying. And he knocks on the door, and he goes, hey, guys, I'm, I'm here. And two things happen, right? Two funny things happen. The girl who comes to, to answer the door, hears Peter's voice, gets so excited that Peter's back, doesn't open the door, just runs back in and leaves Peter outside. And then, he, and then she runs back, and she's like, hey, guys, Peter's at the door, and everyone who's praying for Peter, whatever they're praying for, is like, you're out of your mind. You've lost it. It's interesting, right? We, 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 we see these stories about how sometimes what we pray for, we don't really expect it to really happen. And so when it does, we don't really know what to do. And then the rest of the uh, passage goes on that Peter is uh, saved from death, but King Herod, who ultimately wanted to kill Peter, he actually dies from uh, by God. And then Acts 12, 24, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And, and, and the, the move of the gospel, the gospel just continued to move on. And that's the story of Acts chapter 12. James gets put to death. Peter gets captured. 
and he is on his way to be put to death. The church prays, and the result is that God saves Peter. What does the church do in its time of need? It prays. What's prayer? Prayer is communicating with God. Now, one of the misconceptions that we have about prayer is that we think prayer is one way. We think prayer is how we speak to God. But communication, by definition, is always two-way. It's what you give and also what you take. There are so many times where we, we are too busy communicating and talking to God that we actually don't give Him time to speak to us. Now, God can speak to us in many different mediums. The primary one is that He speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. That's why it's called God's Word. It's His living Word. But He can also speak to us in our dreams and visions. He can also speak to us through people around us as well. But He can speak to us in our silence. The church prays. And when the church prays, what they're praying for is this, God, can you please save Peter? Why? Because they couldn't. They were in a position, they're the minority, right? They don't have guns, they don't have weapons, they don't have people, they're the minority. They were in no position to do anything about the situation that was in front of them, but God was. And so when they prayed, God responded and ultimately saved Peter. Now, there's three things that, that, uh, that I found really helpful to understand about prayer. Uh, the first is this. Prayer is a place of honest expression. Uh, prayer is personal time with God. It's you speaking and also listening to God. It's an expression of your personal relationship with Him. Uh, when my children and I spend time together, whether it be you know, on the ride to school or you know, around the dining table or before they go to bed, the communication that I have with them, the time that I spend with them is a reflection of my relationship with them. I love them. That's why I choose to spend time with them. And, you know, a lot of the time, the conversations and the words itself, you know, with the younger kids anyway, it's like, you know, it's not much. You know, like I'll sit down with my three-year-old son before he goes to bed, and I'm like, you know, how are you? And then he'll look at me and go, did you know the sun is hot? <laughs> You know? And I'm like, yes. Yes, I did know the sun is hot. Right? And then we'll have a few minutes of conversation about why the sun is hot. Now, now, do, like, is my life, does is my life change because suddenly I know that the sun is hot? No, it's not. But I communicate with him. I spend time with him because as we do, we get to converse, talk, listen, and build relationship through that communication. The time I spend with him is a reflection of my relationship with them. 
1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 reads, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. When we pray, it's a time and place where we can share our honest and open thoughts and feelings to God because that's what you do when you have a personal relationship with someone. Can I tell you, if your prayer life, if the way you pray sounds more like a list of ingredients that are on the side of a cereal box, just the same standard prayers every day, let me ask you, How is your relationship with God? If I woke up and spoke to my children every day, the same conversation, the same thing. Good morning. I love you. How did you sleep? Have a good day. And that was it. That's all I said to each of my kids. What kind of a relationship would that be with myself and my children? It would be one that is not alive, right? It's a stagnant conversation. It's not a real conversation. It's a shallow conversation or it's a hollow conversation. Same with when you're married. If you're having the same conversations with your spouse after a month of marriage, after a year of marriage, then your relationship has not grown. It is not alive. When we pray, we have the opportunity to say things that are actually on our mind. Our prayers must change because we change. Our circumstances change. Our thoughts change. And so our prayer must change with that as our relationship with God deepens and is such a real relationship because God actually cares. God actually cares about what is going on in your life, what you're actually feeling, what you're actually going through. God really cares. If prayer, uh, prayer is only real if the relationship is real. Prayer is a place of honest expression. Secondly, prayer is a posture of surrender. When we pray, when we share our honest hearts to God, what we're doing is we're acknowledging that God, firstly, is real. And secondly, that we need Him. That we need to count on Him. That we need to depend on Him because He's God and we're not. Jesus prays the night before He is captured and and, and put to death. Matthew 26, 39. And going a little further, He fell on His face and prayed saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is honestly sharing His heart to God. 
He knows the, the, the pain and suffering that he would have to go through to all the way to the cross and ultimately die on the cross for the sins of mankind. And he spends some time with God praying, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through with this. But whatever you want, I'll do. When we pray, this is ultimately what we need to do. Say, God, we want you to be involved. God, we want you to, um, you know, whatever it is that you're praying for, whatever is on your heart. But ultimately, we go to God with a humble heart, a heart of surrender, inviting God to be involved in our lives, asking Him to lead us and guide us. But for us to really be led and for us to really understand and accept His guidance, we have to let go of guiding ourselves. We have to let go of leading ourselves. You know, they use this example all the time. There's only one steering wheel in the car. And if you're steering it, then no one else is steering it. But when we give our lives to God, meaning when we pray and say, God, we want you to be involved in my life, ultimately, you can't go to God, God, hold the steering wheel, but I'm also going to hold the steering wheel too and say, let's drive together. It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen. When we pray, we have to ultimately go to Him in surrender and say, God, I want you to lead and guide me. When we pray, even before we say anything, the posture that we have is one of dependence on God, to trust God, that no matter what happens as an outcome or a consequence of that prayer, that we would know and believe that God is in control and that whatever the outcome is, that's the best for us. Prayer is a posture of surrender. Finally, prayer is a position to witness God's provision, promises, and power. Friends, when we pray, we are ultimately inviting God to be involved in our lives. And because God cares, He gets involved, just like how He saved Peter from King Herod. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 reads this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we pray and invite God into our lives and into our situations, we get to see firsthand what God does. Sometimes it's His provision. When we ask for something, He gives. Sometimes it's His promises. We, re we receive reminders of what God has promised us through His Word. And sometimes we see His power, His raw might and strength in our situations. Now, if I'm in a, if I'm in a neighborhood and I'm about to get into a scuffle with the neighborhood bully, Right, And I wasn't like this. I was a really good kid when I was growing up. Either that or I may have been the bully. I don't know. I, just, I pray for forgiveness. But if I'm going against the neighborhood bully and I know that the bully is going to smash me, 
right? And I think, you know what, this is not going to end well. I'm going to bring out the Hulk. You guys know the Hulk, right? So just use your imagination, right? I'm going to bring the Hulk, right? And I get to see the Hulk in action, right? Is that going to change the situation? Of course it's going to change the situation, right? And then the Hulk will smash the bully, right? That's just, you know, that's what would happen, right? Now, you know what's funny? Would I be surprised at what the Hulk did to the bully? In one sense, why would I be surprised? Because that's exactly why I brought the Hulk, right? Sometimes when we pray, right, I think that's what happens. Sometimes when we pray, theoretically, we understand what we're doing. We're inviting God into the situation. Uh, let's use, you know, I'm having, you know, uh, financial problems. Um, you know, I'm going through financial stress and I'm praying. I said, God, God, you need to help me. God, you need to help me in this situation. God, you need to get involved in my life. You need to give me wisdom. You need to give provision. You know, you need to do this. And then suddenly the provision turns up. And our response most of the time is what? Surprise. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? You know, it's like making a delivery. It's like, you know, DoorDash and you order some food, right? You ordered the food and you're sitting at home and you're watching TV and it goes, ding dong. And hello, you go, hey, this is your DoorDash delivery. And you go, whoa, where did that come from? When sometimes we pray, this is what it's like. We make the delivery, we make the order, and we expect it not to come. We don't expect it to come. How funny this is, right? But friends, when we pray, when we invite God into our lives, what you get to see is who God is and what God can do. Don't be surprised. We get front row seats to witness the might and power, the generous provision and His promises fulfilled. When we pray, we get to witness this. Prayer is a position to witness God's provision, promises and power. Prayer is amazing. You have direct communication with the God who created the heavens and the earth. Prayer, it ultimately, um, you know, you flick the switch and God gets involved in your life and in your situation, even though you and I have no control, God gets involved. Prayer is amazing. So the question is this this morning. Why don't we pray? If prayer is phenomenal, life-changing, eternity changing. Why don't we pray? Why don't we make time to pray? Is it because we don't have time? Because we're busy? Is it because we don't know how to pray? Because we don't, we don't know what kind of words to use? Friends, at the end of the day, the reason why we do not pray is because we do not believe. 
we do not believe that God answers and listens to our prayers. We do not believe that God can do anything about our situation. That's the bottom line. We don't pray because we don't have faith. Let me read this quote. A lack of prayer demonstrates a lack of faith and a lack of trust in God's word. We pray to demonstrate our faith in God, that he will do as he has promised in his word and bless our lives abundantly more than what we could ask for and hope for. We don't pray because we don't believe. It's as simple as that. We sang this song this morning, God is able. We don't pray because we don't believe God is able. If you're in trouble, you either go to God because you believe he can do something about it, or you don't go to him because you believe that he can't. Our lack of prayer is not a result of our lifestyle or schedule but it's a reflection of what we truly believe about who God is. Peter, the leader of the church, is captured and is going to die. So the church prays. So the church prayed. Now, was it a last resort that they prayed? Did they try everything else? And then like, ah, oh, we can't do this, and therefore let's pray? You know, you don't read in that passage, right? You don't read in the passage that they tried to storm the prison themselves and try to rescue Peter, but they failed and so they went to pray. No, the first thing that they did in that situation was to pray because they believed that God could save. They believed that God was powerful enough and cared enough about their situation to get involved and make changes. This was serious stuff for them. And I wonder, I wonder if prayer, which is a reflection of our relationship with God, is serious enough for us. Because if it's serious, you make time. If it's important, you invest. If you believe it, if it's fact to you, then you act. So the reality is this. Our lack of prayer life, our lack of, of spending time with God is not because you're too busy it's not because you're distracted. It's just not important because you don't believe it's real. That's why we don't pray. Because Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. If we truly understand who we are, if we truly understand who God is, if we really understand who God is, and I think this is the crux of it all, if you really understand who God is, it is nothing for God to transform the world. But we just don't believe that. God can change your life. 
God can transform your addictions. God can make things happen that you can never, ever make happen in your life. It's, a, it's not a question of can God. It's a question of whether you believe God can. It's actually a question of your faith. When you don't pray when you have time on the side. Prayer is not a side project. Scripture tells us to devote ourselves in prayer because when we do so, we devote ourselves to God. We make God front and center. That's why we pray. Because we believe. Now let me finish with just three really quick practical tips on when we pray. Because I think a lot of times, you know, we, we walk out and we go, yeah, I need to pray more. And then that goes about, you know, 40 seconds. <laughs> By the time you're at the car, you're like, ah, you know. Number one, um, quality over quantity. When you, when you are wanting to develop your prayer life, like any relationship, go for quality over quantity. One real honest sentence in prayer is so much more valuable than a hundred lines of religious garbage. One genuine moment with God is so much more real and more important than a hundred years of religious rituals. So go for quality over quantity. Secondly, make time. Jesus made time to spend with God in prayer. If it's important, then we make time. If health is important, then you make time to exercise. If work is important, then you make time to go to work. If, if, uh, if dating is important, then you make time to go and date. We all do it. We all do it. If it's important, make time. If God is important, then give time to God. And that could be, and, and, and this one is really like, you've got to understand your rhythms. And this is something that I'm learning these days too. Every one of us, we have different rhythms in our lives. Some of us, we, we, we are morning people, you know, 5.30 in the morning, right? You're up, you're, you're, you're bright, you're happy, you know, like you're just thankful for the new day, you know. And so, you know, that 30 minutes of quiet, the 10 minutes when you wake up, you spend that time with God, giving God thanks, right? For me, I'm not a morning person. I don't thank God for mornings. I thank God for evenings, you know, like mornings is like, ah, you know, there's my evening gone, you know. You know, I, I'm not like that, right? But I know that in my evenings, right, this is when I give God time. And can I tell you, if it's important... You don't give him leftovers. You give him your best time. The more important something is in your time, the more priority it goes into your schedule. Is that not true? Right? You look at your week and you look at what's the most important thing, right? And you put that in. And then whatever leftover time is whatever leftover priorities they get. You know what? Sadly, the reality is prayer, it gets legit the leftovers of the leftovers. But what does that mean? What's that represent? 
It just means that God is, you, you give God leftovers of leftovers, and for some reason you think that that's okay. If you did that with any other relationship in your life, it would be absolute rubbish. But why is it that we think that it's okay with God? Make time, but give God good time. Represent the fact that He is important to you. Put it in your schedule. Make time. Thirdly, time alone and time together. Um, It's really important for us to spend time with God alone. It's really important. But something that I've also found is that there are times where we, we need to spend time praying together. And that's also because God is important for me, but God is important for that person too. The most encouraging time sometimes is especially when you're struggling. The importance of the people that God has put around you, right? We get together and we, we, we're told, encourage each other, love each other, care for each other, but pray together. Pray together. Um, Pastor May, who, you know, who's uh, at our church, one of the things that she's, she does, and one of the most encouraging things is it doesn't matter what we're doing, it doesn't matter what conversation we're having, right? We'll be talking about something, and she'll just be like, hey, let's pray. And I'm like, now? Like, like I've got like food like here, like my spoon's here, my drink is here. And, she, and she's like, let's pray now. And I'm like, uh, yeah, okay. And, and you know, it's really weird and, and awkward at the time, but you know what, for her, it's like, hey, this is now, this is important. Let's do it. Has been so encouraging. One of the things that I've seen, uh, probably not as much as, as we used to, but what I love seeing in our church communities, when we see each other on a Sunday, it's not just, hey, how are you? But as we talk and as we build a relationship, hopefully that gets into prayer too. One of the most beautiful things that we got to experience at camp was we got opportunity to pray for each other. It was amazing. It was so encouraging. So have this time alone in prayer, but make sure you have time together in prayer too. That's why we have our small groups, our life groups. Get together and pray. Prayer is important because God is important. That's the bottom line. Prayer is important because God is important. Prayer changes. Your prayers change as you grow as your situation changes, as your understanding of God changes. But not only that, it changes you. As you invite more and more of God into your life, as you walk closer and closer with God in our lives, it starts to change you because that's who God is. So as we finish today, I thought it'd be ridiculous to preach on prayer and not pray. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer today. How about that? Let's all close our eyes.